Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael De Silva, and I am your host for episode 36. In this episode, we are going to listen to the conclusion of a webinar recording that was prepared in lieu of this year's Love Like Christ Men's Retreat. The theme this year was The Mature Man. In this session, Sam Moore continues as the moderator and is joined by Brian Joyce and Dr. Jim Rennie. This is part two. We trust you will find this a real blessing. You can watch this webinar at www.lovelikechrist.ca. Um, this this next question, um, we were talking about interpersonal relationships and and how we miss fellowship and worshiping together. This next question has to do with um, relationships and how they can sometimes be difficult. And this is the question here: Is it possible for a man who is a believer? to maintain a deep loving relationship with another believer who has strong personal opinions or views regarding issues that are completely opposite to your own view on those same issues? If the answer is yes, could you please share some helpful tips on how to make this possible? I have felt, says the person writing the question, that as we grow spiritually and mature in Christ, we should be able to do this. Yet my experience is that relationships which were once deep and loving slowly begin to unravel and separate as a result of differing views. This is quite troublesome, and I would appreciate help. Brian, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Okay. Well, I would, first of all, agree with the questioner uh, that it is possible to maintain a deep, loving relationship with someone who has differ differing views. I, I am uh, in relationships of that sort. Uh, but having said that, it's not always easy. Um, I, I would say it takes more effort um, to maintain that relationship or for that relationship to flourish. But just first, let me be negative, um, and then I have a positive comment before Dr. Rennie speaks on it. Um, I believe in our circles, um, we have been programmed to, to cut ties with believers who don't agree with us. And, and in my thinking, that is wrong. We need a new mindset, especially in areas of, of opinion and, and preference. Having said that, it takes two people to want a good relationship. You can work very hard at trying to keep or develop a relationship uh, with another person, but, but if they don't want it to happen, then it's not going to happen. In the end, you are responsible for your own attitude and actions, not for theirs. From my experience, um, I have what I thought was a good relationship until it started, uh, until I started expressing uh, differing views on things. My personality uh, would tend to be uh, would tend to make me more of a follower. And uh, as long as I submitted to the other person's ideas, everything was good in the relationship. When I started maturing and, and stating my own convictions, uh, the relationship began to break down. In many cases, it reveals who your true friends are. So uh, I'll just give what I call three or a few key ingredients in a healthy relationship. I know there's many, but, but just three that came to me was number one, 
uh, accepting the other person for who they are. Number two, choosing to love no matter what. And three, being committed to forgiveness. And Ephesians 4.32 is a good verse on that account. My advice would be to try your best to find common ground with a person like that and build from there. Dr. Rennie, did you have more to say on that? Yeah. The Word of God does not command us to have deep, loving uh, relationships with every believer. It's impossible. Only the Lord can do that, have deep, loving relationships with every child of God. And so there is a need for us to be um, uh, wise in the friendships that we go deep with. Uh, And uh, it's good to have people who are like-minded. One of my very best friends is is uh, Ron from North Carolina, and uh, we talk with him on the phone. We visit a couple times a year, and uh, we are essentially one in mind as far as the Word of God is concerned, and it is sweet fellowship that we enjoy sharing the Word of God together and praying together. Uh, I have uh, I have very few other people that I have uh, that deep uh, relationship with, And uh, one of the reasons is because they just don't share spiritually, and that's what I love to do. So uh, that's one of my requisites for for a deep uh, friendship, is that there there must be some spiritual content to it. And uh, can I I have fellowship with someone who does not agree with me in in scriptural matters? And, And the answer is yes, I can. But uh, we're talking about the degree of unity that we can have and the degree of fellowship in the gospel that we can have. Because certainly if a person doesn't agree with the deity of Christ, uh, we can have no fellowship with them in the gospel. We can, we can treat them nicely as a neighbor and, and share uh, uh, the, the, uh, the neighborhood together with them, but we can't have deep uh, Christian fellowship with them. On the other hand, if you have a Pentecostal brother or sister, for instance, and there are several of those in our extended family, and uh, we, we do not agree on the, the work uh, of, the, of the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit, and we still don't agree after a number of years of being together, but we have great fellowship when we're together because we're Christians and we love Jesus and the essential doctrines of the gospel and of the faith are in place in both of our hearts. And when I say essential doctrines, all doctrine, all teaching in the scripture is true, but not all of it is required to be a Christian, Uh, to to meet in a certain way, to have uh, a certain style of church uh, uh, order and practice is, is in, in many ways a lesser teaching than the, the teaching concerning Christ, the deity of Christ, the, the work of salvation. And uh, these are the things that must come, must come first. Having a difference of eschatology, where you, you, you differ in, in the, uh, what happens in the future and the coming of the Lord, it's another perhaps touchy issue. 
And yet I have had deep uh, spiritual fellowship with people who differ on, on eschatology as well. Precious as that is to me, I recognize that as a secondary teaching because you can be a Christian and have various uh, uh, beliefs concerning the, the coming of Christ. So uh, I think what uh, Brian has said about, about accepting one another is so important and forgiving one another. Uh, uh, praying for one another. Uh, th these are the things that, that, that uh, we need to practice with, with everybody. I trust that I've, it, that, I trust that I've said enough <laughs> to satisfy some people on that. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you both for your insight. I mean, that's a question. All these questions you could spend um, hours on answering and discussing. And so uh, I think it's recognized that, that we can only have so much time, but I think we trust, before we move on to the last question, we trust that this will be the starting of, of conversations had and, and questions answered and questions asked. That is our, our hope. The last question here, question number five, and it's asked in, in a, a negative way. Um, we can focus on the negative or the positive here. But the question is, what are the consequences of being an immature man in both church and in your home, what are some red flags that I should be aware of? Dr. Rennie, you go ahead. Well, once again, we could dwell a lot on this particular topic. We've talked about it from the positive of what it takes to be a mature Christian man. And I'm, I'm going to say that, that uh, maturity might be measured uh, by three yardsticks. And the first one is growing in the knowledge of God. Um, Having come to faith in Christ, we now need to grow in the, in the knowledge of God, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So we, we grow in our understanding. We grow in, in our acquaintance with the scriptures. Uh, we become Bible-minded people. And that is a measure of, of uh, spiritual growth. The second measure is victory over sin, uh, uh, godliness, uh, holiness, and uh, a man who is careless in his life with sin and allows sinful habits to dominate him will never, never come to spiritual maturity this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, that's a different story because God is going to be perfecting us and we'll be transformed into the image of Christ. But for some, that's going to be a major work of revision. When they, when they come to see the Lord, a lot has to change in their life before they, they'll be able to, to, to enjoy heaven because they'll have to have major work done at the end. And uh, God doesn't want that. He wants us to be people who are growing in holiness. And he wants us, above all, to, pe to be people who are growing in love. So they're growing in knowledge of the Savior, growing in holiness, and then growing in love. And I believe that those are the three measures that the scriptures use concerning what, what the, the Bible calls a mature man in Christ. Truth and righteousness and, and love. And the greatest is, it's love. You can, you can be able to spout the verses, uh, at, at, at will and uh, no chunks of scripture. And if you are not loving, uh, 
Uh, 1 Corinthians says you're, you're just uh, like a sounding gong or a, sounding gong or a, a tinkling cymbal. You're not, you're not sounding out the message of Christ because the message of Christ is about, is about love. And whenever maturity is mentioned in the scriptures, it's closely associated with becoming a loving heart. And so the greatest measure is love. So what does a, an immature man look like? He is not growing in the knowledge of God. He, he knows uh, very little more this year than he knew last year about the Bible. He's, he's not concerned with that. So he doesn't grow in his understanding of God. And uh, the second one, he, he tolerates sin in his life. He's careless about his walk. He's careless about his talk. Uh, and there's no uh, moral transformation that is going on that's discernible uh, by people around him. That is an immature Christian man. He's a, he's a carnal Christian. And then lastly, he's a man who is not uh, opening up his heart to love others because he's, he's, uh, he has not specialized in love. So he doesn't he doesn't care for the gospel because the greatest thing, the most loving thing you could do for somebody else is to pray them into the kingdom and to witness them into the kingdom. That, that's, that's the most loving thing you can do for anybody. And when, and when we're not growing, then we don't care about the gospel. We don't care about sharing the gospel with other people. We don't love them enough to give them the very best gift that they could ever receive, which is Jesus Christ. So, that's what a, a, an immature man looks like. And the red flags, I think, are obvious. That lack of knowledge, lack of, lack of holiness, and lack of love. Brian, any additional thoughts there? I think, <laughs> I think it just about covered it all, all the bases. But uh, I do have a few things written here. And, and it's just in agreement with what um, Dr. Rennie has just said. And, and the... The first is that immaturity, um, as the question asks about an immature man, immaturity is a lack of growth and a lack of faith. And, and therefore, it has to be detrimental. It negatively affects the individual who is immature, but it, it also has collateral damage on those around you, whether mm -hmm. in the home or, or in the church. And as Dr. Rennie has stated, it, it affects the spread of the gospel because uh, the immature man is not focused on sharing the good news with others. He's focused on his own interests and his yeah. own concerns. Yeah. And Paul talked about uh, carnality in, in when, when he wrote to the Corinthians. It is a condition uh, of a believer basically acting like an unbeliever. In, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, uh, for you are still carnal. For where, uh, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So, so this is the, the immature man. Now the question um, asks about red flags and... and um, I guess that prompted me to ask a question. And it kind of deals with uh, the second point that Dr. Rennie had. The question is this, what is your besetting sin? What, what sin comes to mind if I ask you what you struggle with the most? 
Is it materialism? Is it unkindness? Is it lust? Is it control? And the reason I ask that is because oftentimes when, when, when stressed or, or when in a situation where we're isolated or, or anxious, uh, sins that, that, are, that we easily would go to, that we do. We go to them. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be very careful. Too much uh, spare time can be dangerous, and, and we need to guard in areas of, of spiritual mm-hmm. or personal weakness. And David, uh, in the Old Testament, is a good example of this. When normally he would have been active at war, he was home and, and idle. And he fell to personal weakness, and, and uh, his life went on a downward spiral. So I would say this. There is a, a predictable pattern to sin in our lives. Desire, a longing for what is forbidden. Thought, a process of thinking that is not stopped. An action, outworking of what is wrong. This takes us, uh, for, for me, and, and I guess for all of us, it takes a, a lot of self-evaluation. And I just think the words that came to mind were the words of David in, in Psalm 139 when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and, and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. And uh, I believe that this takes accountability with others as well. Ultimately, your victory is in Christ. We have just come through, uh, and I'll just add this before I finish. Uh, We've just come through the Easter season. And yet, uh, the reality of Easter should be true every day in our lives. I call it the Easter principle. The Friday of Easter is death. The Saturday of Easter is burial, and the Sunday of Easter is resurrection. And the verse that came to mind is Galatians 2 and 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as an action step to close on, I just want to challenge you to apply the Easter principle or the Galatians 2.20 principle to your weakness, to your failure, to your personal struggle, to your sin that you might be facing right now. Death. Identify and crucify the sin. Burial. Keep it in the tomb. Get help if you need to. Resurrection. Live in the power of Jesus Christ. And uh, as Galatians 2 and 20 ended, above all, re-evaluate your love for Jesus. Make sure he has first place. Make sure he fills your heart. And make sure that you stay close to him. So. Very good. Hope that's helpful. Mm Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, that is, that is all five questions. Um, thank you so much, both of you, Brian, Dr. Rennie, for your insight 
um, the time you spent thinking about these questions. I know I'm the only one that's heard them so far. <laughs> um, I've definitely been encouraged and challenged both. Um, just the, the one thought that was just mentioned by you, Dr. Rennie, saying, do I know the Lord better than I now than I did last year? Um, progression, growth. Definitely a sign of a mature man, but challenging to think year to year in my own life. Things change, circumstances change. The Lord never does, and we should be get to know him even more and more every year. So thank you so much. I'm just going to close in prayer. Ask the Lord to bless this time. Um, and then we'll just have a, a few announcements there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. As we've already expressed for your goodness to us, uh, a time like this, we recognize the great blessings. We recognize that we are, have been brought into every spiritual blessing, but Father, also these small blessings, the things that we take for granted every day, a time like this when the, the staples of life are stripped away, we appreciate the little things that you have given us in our life. We pray that this webinar and these questions and these answers given would be a blessing to everyone that listens to this. Father, that families, homes, churches, men, relationships would all be blessed as a result of this. We thank you most of all for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his death on the cross and the blessing this has given us, eternal life, salvation, a relationship with you. And Father, we are thankful that he's alive. He's defeated sin. He's de defeated death. We just pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you once again to all of you for watching and being a part of this year's Love Like Christ webinar. We hope again that this is a blessing to you, your families, and your local churches. And we hope that next year it won't be a webinar as great as this was, that it will be a retreat in person. And we look forward to seeing you there. And until then, God bless. Thank you.